Vivek Ramaswamy is here today to talk about the issues that matter. He is a Republican presidential candidate polling in third right now, and we've got him here to talk about things like abortion and gender, all those controversial topics I know you really care about. But first, we are going to analyze some data published by The Hill that shows that while Young women are getting more liberal. Young men may actually be getting more conservative. Why is this and what does this mean? And also, we've got a great example of a liberal woman seeing the unfortunate manifestations of how she is voting. So what lessons can we learn from all of this? Also, before we get started, I just want to make an announcement. We've got a new merch item. We've got a luggage tag. And this is a very special luggage tag. This is not just a relatable re luggage tag. Like I'm wearing my relatable branded shirt right now that you can get on my merch shop. But this is a Sam Britton luggage tag. Now, if you remember Sam Britton, he was a part of the Biden administration. And he was a they them. And he also did a lot of crazy things like teach kink sex workshops to college students. Very strange person, okay? He was part of the Biden administration. And then he was charged with being a klepto, with stealing women's luggage at multiple airports, all right? And wearing their clothes. How weird is that? So I just wanted you to protect yourself from Sam Britton. You don't want him to steal your luggage. So we've got these, as you can see on YouTube, these Sam Britton luggage tags with his beautiful, beautiful, beautiful face and bald head on them saying, caution, you know, don't steal my luggage. And um, all right, we'll play you. We'll play you just the little promotional video that we have of this luggage tag. suffer from having your airline luggage stolen from you by random bald men in red lipstick? Who? Me? Yep. No. My bag will be here any minute. Hey! Oh, my clothes! Then it looks like you need the all-new Sam Britton luggage tag. Sam Britton luggage tag. Buy now over the phone for three easy payments of $3.99 or available on AllieMerch.com for $12. All right. Hope you enjoyed that. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Good Ranchers. Go to GoodRanchers.com. Use code Allie at checkout. That's GoodRanchers.com. Code Allie. Hey guys, welcome to Relatable. Happy Tuesday. Hope everyone's having a wonderful week so far. Okay, we've got some stuff to cover and really right until the music started playing, I was still trying to debate exactly what we are going to discuss today. There are a few things that have been floating around on Twitter that I wanted to make sure that I got into. One is high school boys trending conservative while high school girls are contributing or are uh, leaning liberal. Um, and this is a growing demographic of liberal women. And it is in stark contrast to their male counterparts. And what exactly does that mean? And then I wanted to react to this clip that's going around. It's going viral on Twitter about this woman who is complaining about living in San Francisco, despite being a liberal influencer herself. There seems to be some kind of disconnect. So how should we react uh, to to that kind of response to the crimes that a lot of these people who are complaining are actually voting for. Let's get into the um, high school boys uh, trending conservative first. And then after we talk about these stories, you'll hear my interview with Vivek Ramaswamy. I'll give you some updates on him, why he's in the news right now, and how he's doing with polling and everything like that. So first, Let's uh, let's look at this story by The Hill that maybe you've seen because it's been out for a week or so. I just haven't been able to comment on it. High school boys are trending conservative. This is according to The Hill. According to the University of Michigan's Monitoring the Future survey, 12th grade boys are twice as likely to identify as conservative versus liberal. In annual surveys over the last 
uh, three years, roughly one quarter of high school seniors self-identified as conservative or very conservative on the Monitoring the Future survey, a survey that dates back to the 1970s. Only 13% of boys identified as liberal or very liberal in the last three years. So if you look at this graph that we can put up um, on YouTube, like you'll see... You'll go back all the way to 1975, 25% of 12th grade uh, boys identified as very liberal. Now, obviously, the definition of liberal and conservative uh, has changed over the past 50 years. And so it doesn't necessarily mean the same thing then that it means now there were a different set of issues. We weren't talking about gender ideology, all of the craziness and the chaos that we're seeing today. There was a lot of chaos in the 1970s, don't get me wrong. But again, different definitions, different values, different policies were on the table. And only, let's see, it looks like about 17 to 18% in 1975 considered themselves very conservative. And and uh, that there's a, a a big drop off of teenage boys or senior boys that considered themselves liberal from 1975 to 1985. I think that Ronald Reagan had a very big impact on this. Whatever we think about some of Reagan's policies in retrospect, I mean, he did kind of bring back this pride in being an American. And I think that he did have this very respectable masculinity and strength and patriotism to him that made it really appealing to be not just a conservative, but to be a Republican, to be proud of your country. If you think about the things that were happening in the 1970s and why people maybe wouldn't have been proud of their country, why it was cool to be a rebel, why it was cool to kind of raise your fist against the system, Ronald Reagan came in and we saw this resurgence of respect for and love for America. Now, again, looking back, we see some mistakes uh, that Ronald Reagan made when it comes to foreign policy, when it comes to immigration, even when it comes to the pharmaceutical industry. However, I think that we can recognize and appreciate the kind of love for the country that Reagan brought forth, and he was very charming and compelling in doing so. So I could see why it became unpopular to become liberal or to say that you're liberal. And obviously, we can look at the voting map both in both elections in the 80s and see how insanely popular Republicans were because of Ronald Reagan. So we see the liberal identification from 12th grade boys kind of drop off and then stay at about 17 or so percent and then got higher in 2010. Uh, I think that probably has to do or maybe it might even be 2008. We see kind of uh, a peak there. And it's probably because of Barack Obama. Barack Obama, another very compelling figure. Now, I wouldn't say necessarily an exemplar of masculinity, but definitely charm. And kind of that hope and that optimism, I think that he brought that to the table in a similar way that Reagan did. Obviously, on the other end of the political spectrum, but you can see kind of the parallel appeal there. But then... After that, we see a steep drop off of liberal identification for 12th grade boys. So we're talking 17 to 8 or to 18 year old boys. And then now it's lower than it has ever been by far from 2020 to 2023, where we are now. We only have uh, between 10 and 15 percent. So probably somewhere uh, somewhere around 13% or so. And then you've got, let's see, in it looked like about 2020, it peaked identification with conservative. And so you've got, I don't know, 27% 12th grade boys, um, maybe 26% identifying as conservative. And now it's lower just a little bit, but not too much to where it's a little below 25%. Uh, 25% identifying as um, as conservative. So obviously, that still means that the majority of these 12th grade boys are uh, identifying not as conservative, but very few are also identifying as liberal or very liberal. So what we see is that there is a trend to the right, whereas the girls, the 12th grade girls, are heading to the left. So more than 30 percent more than 30% of 12th grade girls are identifying as liberal. And that is much higher than it's ever been. It was lowest, again, in 1980, identifying as liberal. 
think Ronald Reagan had a big re- uh, a big effect on that. And then you can kind of see it goes up and down, up and down. It goes much higher around 2015. And then it just skyrockets again in 2020, perhaps the Trump effect a lot of other issues, I think, on the table. And then when it comes to identifying as conservative, you've got a little over 10% of 12th grade girls identifying as conservative. And honestly, it stayed pretty similar. It was a little bit higher from 2000 to 2015 or so. It's dropped off in 2020, but it's not that different than it was, honestly, in um, 1975. Citing a Gallup survey, The Hill writes that women ages 18 to 29 are also shifting left and are more likely to identify as liberal or very liberal now than at any time in the past two decades. According to the Survey Center on American Life, the beliefs of young men are more or less the same than they were 20 years ago. 43% identifying as moderate, 31% identifying as conservative, 24% as liberal. The leftward drift among young women alone has moved the needle to uh, on young adults as a whole. Gen Z favors liberalism, leftism really, over conservatism by a 48 to 33 margin, according to the NBC News polling from 2022. So I guess even though, I mean, it looks like from the graph that there is a trend towards conservatism, like a stark trend towards conservatism for 12th grade boys. The interpretation of the data, according to this article, is that really men, when it when you break it down, that their political views are kind of staying the same, but that the gap is obviously bigger because of the dramatic shift by girls in moving to the left. So what does this all mean? Like, what are the implications of this? Because there's been much commentary on it. A lot of people have different opinions that they've shared um, about the gap between men and women and their political ideologies and what that looks like for the future. Also, why? Why? And I'll give you my analysis of that in a second. Let me pause. Let me tell you about our first sponsor for the day. And that is Seven Weeks Coffee. Seven Weeks Coffee is an amazing company. Their mission is to promote godly values, to provide excellent coffee, and to protect every beating heart. The name of Seven Weeks Coffee comes from the size of a baby inside the womb at just seven weeks gestation, which is the size of a coffee bean with that little beating heart. And so this is a pro-life company that aims to save as many of those little lives as possible by donating 10% of every sale to pregnancy centers across the country. In their first year alone, they have raised over $130,000, and now they are supporting over 500 pregnancy centers. If you guys listen to the show, you guys know how much I talk about these pregnancy resource centers and how much they are giving to these families in crisis materially, but also spiritually as well, to make sure that they are fully cared for so that these women choose life. And so seven weeks call, Coffee, offering amazing coffee that we drink in our home, also protecting those lives that you and I care about. So get your coffee from Seven Weeks Coffee. Go to sevenweekscoffee.com. Use promo code Allie at checkout for 10% off your order. That's sevenweekscoffee.com. Code Allie for 10% off. Sevenweekscoffee.com. Code Allie. All right. So a lot of people are saying the various reasons for why Gen Z is moving left among women, trending right-ish among men. I've seen some people say that, um, you know, young women, that it's feminism, basically that it's just uh, that they're basically delusional and that there's no appealing to this demographic because they're emotional and they're just they're simply going to move to the left because of the propaganda that's fed to them and then of course from the left you hear the same thing about men that it's Andrew Tate that it's toxic masculinity that it's this love for patriarchy and for Trump that's why they seem to be trending conservative or staying conservative and both of these things may be somewhat true. Uh, I, I do think that there is a propaganda aspect to this. I do absolutely think that women are more emotional. And so we are more susceptible to what I call empathy extortion. We are more uh, susceptible to emotional manipulation. And so when it comes to the narratives about, oh, the border wall is so cruel and they're taking away 
kids from their parents at the border or your bodily autonomy is being violated. And if you elect Trump, then we are going to go back to the handmaid's tale. I do think that we are more vulnerable to those narratives. And I think that in our defense, that the media plays upon those narratives because they understand how susceptible women are, because we are more emotional, because we are more reactionary in general, in general. I think that they understand that they can appeal to us in that way. Um, And so I do think that that's part of it. Now, I also think that for the better, women are more naturally compassionate, that we are more, in a positive way, more empathetic. And so when we do hear these sad tales that tend to support kind of a progressive narrative, um, that we are going to go along with it, not because we're bad people, but because we want to be good people, because women don't want to be called bigots. No one wants to be thought of as a white supremacist. Uh, you don't want to be thought of as some kind of phobe. You want to be accepting. You want to be seen as gentle. You want to be seen as loving. You want to be seen um, as someone that you know the marginalized or the bullied or the outcast can trust. And so I think that's that's what plays into a lot of this for women. I think that they're emotionally and spiritually manipulated um, into believing that the progressive solution, uh, progressive solutions for the problems that the so-called marginalized face are the best and most compassionate ones. And I think that men simply are not appealed to by the media quite as much because men, especially white men, are not seen as a victimized or marginalized group. And so the fear-mongering narratives about women losing their rights or losing their bodily autonomy, which of course is a poor excuse for justifying the murder of unborn children, or all of these uh, empathy extortion tactics, they're not targeted at men. They don't go towards men because men are not classified as these victim groups. So uh, because men are not championed like all of these other, you know, intersectional identities are, whether you're a woman or whether you're gay or whether you identify as transgender or an immigrant or black or brown, because of that, um, I, I just don't think that the emotional manipulation that we see from the liberal press and we see from Democrat politicians is quite as effective on men. And look, when you've got a side telling you that masculinity is toxic and that the patriarchy is responsible for all of the problems that we face today, of course, that's not going to be as attractive or appealing to most men. And like, I do think that there is an ability uh, by men, again, in general, to be able to separate. I think God made men like this to be able to separate um, emotions from facts. Women have this capacity too. We totally have this capability, um, but it's a little bit more difficult. It's actually a strength that we have. I think that being able to operate from a place of emotions and compassion can be very appropriate. It can be very good. It can be very beneficial. But when it comes to deciding policy, when it comes to weighing risks and benefits, I think in general, in general, it is more difficult for women to do that not impossible, not every woman, but in general, I think it is more difficult for women to separate these things. Um, And so I I think that that is part of what's going on here. I think it goes back to the Garden of Eden too. I mean, if you want to look at like the nature of men and women, obviously man was not without faults when it comes to Adam was certainly not without fault. His sin was passivity. He just stood there while Eve was being deceived, but I do think it speaks to the two strengths and weaknesses of men and women, which are not exactly the same. Um, And I do just want to note that still the majority of Gen Z here, male and female, don't identify as conservative. They both are being deceived by liberal talking points. That's actually what my next book is about, this empathy extortion that we constantly see, this empathy manipulation, how it convinces us without using truth, without using facts to just go with the flow, go with the mainstream, go with the progressive narratives because they sound compassionate. It can be really inconvenient to pick apart a narrative, especially when it comes to sensitive topics like race. Like 
you're you're not allowed to look at statistics. You're not allowed to look at data. You're not allowed to look at facts. Because if you do, and if that busts the narrative that the only reason for the disparities that exist between black Americans and white Americans is racism and discrimination, that puts you in a really uncomfortable spot of trying to identify what are the reasons for those disparities if it's not systemic discrimination. That makes for really awkward conversations. And so I think most people don't want that. They just want to be perceived as loving, even if the love that they are presenting to the world isn't filled with truth. Now, the question is, what does this mean for the future of the country? We already have a failing birth rate. Like we already have statistically marriage being put off until a later and later date. If I talk to my single friends, my wonderful single friends who are all women, I mean, they really feel like there are not men out there that align with them. And these are, these are conservative Christian women, by the way. Um, but if you talk to a man, they would probably say the same thing. So there's, there's like a disconnect here, even without the political differences. So if you add on these political differences, like if these trends stay the same, if these women stay liberal through college, they probably will be. They probably will. If they stay liberal through their 20s and these men stay conservative, or at least a large percentage of them stay conservative. Like, what's that going to look like? Some people, I saw some people say, oh, that's going to be a, a lot of men marrying foreign women because foreign women have more, some foreign women have more conservative values. Okay, maybe that's true. I don't really see that being like a huge trend. Um, I think that it's possible because unfortunately this happens is that women turn the people that they're dating more conservative, but it's also possible for men, especially husbands. I have seen this firsthand. I mean, not in my life, but in people that I know that women who think that they are liberal feminists, they get married and they very quickly don conservative values because their husband has positively influenced them. And people who I never thought would vote Republican because I thought that they were more progressive on issues, they ended up voting the way that their husband did. And some people could say, oh, that's so sad how they're influenced by their husband. No, I think that's good. I think that's how it should be. Like you should be on the same page. I mean, especially if you're a professing Christian and your husband is like, oh no, we're not gonna vote for the person who is advocating for baby murder and the destruction of our city. Like I think it's very good for women to be influenced in that direction. Um, and so it's possible that this could that this could change, but I think it's going to make dating even more difficult than it is. I think it's going to make marriage even more difficult than it is. And that doesn't spell good things for the future of the country. It simply doesn't. We need more babies. We need more married couples. We need more nuclear natural families. It's the bedrock of any functioning and thriving society. It is an incubator of liberty and of good values. When you rely on your family, when you provide a stable, secure environment for children, communities, and therefore nations thrive. When you don't have that, when you put off marriage, put off commitment, put off the sacrifice that is required by marriage and having kids, you have a bunch of selfish adult children running around just chasing after their desires. And that kind of society is always going to lead to anarchy, which then leads to forms of tyranny. We're already seeing that right now. This, to me, this disparate ideology that we're seeing grow more and more among young people who already don't care about having kids and getting married, it just spells problems for the future. So, I mean, what's the solution? We could look at young women and we could just say, wow they're hopeless. They're just getting their ideology on TikTok. They're just getting their talking points from Snapchat and from People Magazine, whatever it is, which I think is largely true. I mean, I think it's largely true that women, because I think social contagions are more popular among young women, I think because we are on social media more, again, more susceptible to that empathy manipulation, um, like, I do think it's possible that women just stay liberal, but I don't know if that's an effective strategy um, in persuading women uh, because, I mean, we want that, right? Like, we want people, male and female, to be right. We want them to be on the right side of issues. We don't want them to be manipulated. Um, and so I also don't think that it's helpful to just 
sit there all day, as I'm seeing a lot of people on the right start to do and just talk about how women are the problem. Women are the cause of all of our issues. Women started all this. Um, Again, like, okay, if you can go back to the garden, sure, you can say that Eve was deceived, but Adam was passive. That is that is a sin. And so you could say that feminism is the reason for all of our problems and all this destruction. Okay, well, were the men sitting by like Adam was and saying, sure, I guess you can take a bite of the apple. Like, maybe let's not pass blame to say it was the woman who was active in this all of this destruction. It was men who were passive in all this destruction. We can just acknowledge that both of those are true. And the question is, how do we move forward? I don't necessarily have the answer for that. I think that all of our problems always go back to godlessness and always rejecting Genesis 1-1. I think that's particularly true among Gen Z who rejects religion, rejects Christianity in a large way, not completely. Um, And so I'm always going to want a revival of hearts and repentance and an awakening and all of that. But I do think that there have to be people who can speak to this generation, Gen Z. I don't know. I don't think that I'm, I'm I'm one of those people. I think it needs to be someone younger than me. I've gotten old. Um, but I also think that you have to be able to do it, Christian conservatives, if you are going to be the one to take up this torch and to really press your friends on being pro-life, really press your friends on like the values that they hold and the way that they vote and why they vote that way. I think that you have to do so without compromising. I think that that is our, it's kind of like what we talked about yesterday with the church compromising or watering down the word in order to appeal to the non-believer. You don't want to do that when you're appealing to Gen Z. I see a lot of people say, well, we need to compromise on social issues or else we're going to lose Gen Z. Well, I, like, I don't care if we lose everything. I'm never compromising on that. You're never going to get me to say a man can become a woman and share my bathroom. You're never going to get me to say that it's okay to kill a baby inside the womb. Like, I'm not a pragmatist in that way. And so if I don't care if the Republican Party all goes to the left and the country goes to hell in a handbasket, I do care about it. But that's not going to cause me to change my stance on things. And so if 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 God has called you to appeal to this younger generation of women, then do so without compromise. You can do so with compassion. You can do so in a compelling way, but you have to do so in a way that is strong and is sure and can actually persuade them to your side, which is possible. Look, all these Gen Zers, women, men, they're made in the image of God. They have the capacity to reason. Like they have the ability to decide right or wrong. They might be overly emotional. We all were overly emotional when we were in 12th grade. We probably all thought that we were a little bit liberal. Hopefully they'll grow up some, but like the reality is, is that they have to be taught. They have to be persuaded. They're definitely not going to be challenged in any way in college. And so whoever it is among you to take up the torch among Gen Z to try to convince your friends of what is good and right and true Um, which I'm not saying is conflated with all Republican policy, but just in general, when it comes to these big moral issues, uh, do so without compromise. I really think the future of the country is on the line, not just in how we vote, but in the kind of families that are formed, if families are formed at all. Um, All right, I have another example of this. I have a great example of a young liberal woman just simply not understanding how her values are manifesting themselves and actually harming people. This is why empathy extortion is so very, very dangerous. And voting according to your feelings is actually deleterious for the people around you. It's the opposite of compassion. So we'll play that in just a second. Let me tell you about our second sponsor for the day. That is Good Rancher. So if you want high quality meat from all American farmers and ranchers, then you need to get your meat from Good Ranchers. I get messages every day saying, I finally, after listening to you for years, got my box of Good Ranchers. And my only regret is that I didn't get it sooner. Yeah, I know. Guys, I'm telling you this because I care about my related gals and related bros. Because I want you to get good meat. Because I want you to save time. Rather than going to the grocery store, trying to pick out the right cut of meat, feeling guilty because the price of meat is rising so much and not even getting your meat from American farms and ranches because the vast majority of that meat is imported from overseas. It's just manufactured here in the U.S. and that's why they slap that made in the USA sticker on there. I don't want you to go through that anymore. I want you to support an American company, a Christian-owned company, a family-owned company that sells American meat, better than organic chicken, craft beef, um, seafood, 
pork. Like they've got amazing stuff, high quality stuff sent to your front door on dry ice. It will save you so much time. In the long run, it's going to save you a ton of money. If you subscribe today for the next two years, they will lock in your price. So you don't have to worry about inflation when it comes to buying your meat. Go to goodranchers.com. Use code Allie for $30 off your order. That's goodranchers.com, code Allie. Goodranchers.com, code Allie. All right, here is a young woman who um, who is a TikToker. She's actually a like a liberal out like she's an outspoken commentator on liberal policies, and she has made several videos. Like she made a video in the past making fun of uh, different billboards in conservative places like pro-life billboards and billboards that gave a conservative Christian message. She did this TikTok making fun of them, basically making fun of conservative values. And unfortunately, and I mean that seriously, she was allegedly attacked in her city of San Francisco. And here she is explaining that. I'm literally shaking right now. I was just getting groceries and I live in San Francisco and I never really feel fully safe. If you live in San Francisco, I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. And I just got groceries. I'm walking out of the store and this guy is walking past me and says, move you stupid. And he spits in my face, spits all over my face. And then I say, excuse me, did you just spit in my face? And he says, move or I'll rape you. There's also people everywhere and everyone's just walking by because they're like, I can't handle something else in San Francisco. It's always something else. I don't even know why I'm posting this. If you live in San Francisco, do you feel this way all the time? I don't feel safe ever. I literally never feel safe. It's better when it's daylight, but nighttime, no, not leaving my house. (laughs) Mm, It doesn't have to be this way. It doesn't have to be this way. This doesn't just naturally happen. This this is the result of policies. This is the result of so-called social justice. This is the result of being soft on crime in the name of empathy and compassion, which I guarantee this young lady, whom I am very sorry for, also voted for. I am not saying it serves her right. I'm not saying she got what she deserved. I don't think that anyone deserves this. And I'm genuinely sad for her. Like if I were her friend, I would be calling her asking if she's okay. But I just think that it's worth pointing out, this is the result of policy. This is the result of voting on the basis of emotional extortion when someone tells you that you have to vote Democrat in order to care for the least of these, in order to care for the most vulnerable. You you bought it. Like you bought the narrative and these are the consequences to buying that narrative every single time, every single time. Like there is not a blue city that has gotten better over the past few years. Like there's no blue city that people are leaving red cities to move to. There's just not. They've all gotten dirtier. They've all gotten more ridden with drugs and homelessness. They've all gotten more dangerous. They've all gotten more chaotic, more disastrous. People are leaving these cities. Companies are leaving these cities. Professional sports teams are leaving these cities. And still anyone has the audacity or the ignorance to sit, to think that democratic policies work? They don't. They don't. They always lead to this kind of unsafety and destruction. Now, she did a follow-up video um, talking more about her attacker. Here that is. <laughs> no. It was a very well-groomed and well-dressed white man. Also, this is incredibly racist, and you will be blocked now. Goodbye. Okay. She was responding to a comment, if you're listening to this, asking, was he was he black? And she said that he was a well-groomed white man. Now, that's what I don't, I don't believe the well-groomed part. Like, I don't, I'm sorry, I don't. I don't believe that this was like a well-dressed tech entrepreneur that walked past her in front of a grocery store and spit in her face and said that I'm going to R-A-P-E you. I'm, I, I, I don't believe that. I'm sorry, I just don't. Now, I'm not disbelieving the race of the attacker, but I am disbelieving that this was like a well-dressed, well-groomed man that did this. But again, like you see that she is, like she needed to make a video defending her views. 
and still defending like where she falls on the ideological spectrum. And like she votes with this mentality that in order to like asking a question about race or even mentioning race or assuming race is always going to be racist, I guarantee you she's going to continue to vote Democrat. And this is what I fear. I do fear people like this. She's probably going to leave San Francisco eventually because it's just not safe. And either she does not, she just cognitively does not, cannot make the connection between how she voted and the policies put in place and her feeling of vulnerability at every second of every day, which is not normal, by the way. It's not normal. Most people in America, especially people in red America, mostly do not feel like that. I can't speak for every single person. But like there are communities, there are cities, there are suburbs, there are areas that people feel totally safe walking outside in their neighborhood, going to the grocery store with their kids. Like that is possible in America. It just depends on who you vote for and the policies that you vote for. So she's going to flee to a place like that, which I don't blame her for doing. She's probably going to go to Austin. Maybe she'll even move to Dallas, somewhere that is like metropolitan enough and liberal enough and, you know, big enough to where she can be comfortably liberal herself. But the liberal policies that she voted for in San Francisco haven't fully trickled down to her new city. They haven't fully manifested themselves. I guarantee she's not going to vote Republican. She's, I guarantee she's going to continue to vote the same way that she voted in San Francisco. I think a lot of people do. I think that there is a disconnect. Like in a lot of people that leave California, I know a lot of them are conservative and all that's good. But the liberals who leave California because it's just gotten a little bit too liberal for their taste, um, they, I think that they vote the same way when they move to Colorado, when they move to Wyoming, when they move to Idaho, when they move to South and North Carolina, when they move to Texas, I think that they vote the same way because they somehow believe that like the problems were just exclusive to where they lived and not characteristic of the party and the politicians that they were voting for. Now, the question is like, what are Republicans going to do about this? How are Republicans going to get these people to vote for them? How are Republicans going to say, you know what, TikToker, like, I care about your experience. That should have never happened to you. There should be penalties for that. People should be scared to do something like that because they know that they're going to get arrested and go to jail and that they are going to serve, um, they're, they're going to be dealt a steep penalty for that kind of assault and that kind of uh, harassment. That shouldn't happen to you. And here's the policy that I'm going to be, that I'm going to put in place to make sure that it doesn't. Now, the problem is, is that someone like this, in order to vote for a Republican who is serious about crime, will want that Republican to compromise on everything else, to compromise on abortion, to compromise on gender, to compromise on all of the other social issues that she thinks are the most important thing. And again, she has a disconnect probably between voting for those social issues and the crime policies that are now negatively impacting her and her friend's life. Um, and Republicans can't do that. You should not do that. But it should be so important for people to vote for their safety and to vote in the interest of themselves and those around them, uh, to vote for the protection and the cohesion of their communities, that they are the ones, that the voters are the ones willing to compromise on the other issues because this is so important. And maybe Democrats are doing that work for us, but Republicans have to be very strong on those issues. And you have to talk about crime from a safety perspective, not a punishment perspective, even though punishment is absolutely a part of safety. Um, unfortunately, that just doesn't appeal to liberals because they have this pie in the sky idea of what justice looks like. Uh, but Republicans have to do a better job of saying, yeah, you need to vote for us and not just saying, wow, you know what serves you right. You get what you deserve. She did vote for it. I hope that those connections are made in her mind and the mind of other people. And I hope that for all of these young liberal women, you are, I know that you think that you're voting for your interests because you're voting for abortion and you think you're voting against the patriarchy. You're voting against your interests. You're voting against your safety. You're voting against your privacy. You're voting against your economic interests. You're voting against your future family when you vote Democrat, as we've talked about many, many times before. Maybe this will be an awakening for this young woman. And I am sorry for her uh, that she got attacked. All right. We are going to talk to Vivek Ramaswamy.
He is um, a, a Republican candidate for president. He has a uh, he's got a corporate background. He's a multimillionaire entrepreneur. He started Royvent Sciences, a biotechnology company. He founded Strive, an Ohio-based asset management firm competing with companies like BlackRock, State Street, and Vanguard. He was born and raised in Cincinnati. He is a practicing Hindu. Um, He has been on the uh, news circuit for the past few years, speaking out against things like ESG, which we've talked about very many times. Um, He, like any other candidate, is not without controversy and is not without criticism. I didn't get to talk to him about all of these things. We filmed this uh, last week. I only had a few minutes to talk to him because of his schedule. And so I asked him about some of the issues that I know that you guys care about the most most things like abortion and things like gender. Since he's not a Christian like you and I are, I wanted to know uh, what his stance is on these things and why he has the stance that he does on them. Would he be someone who Christians are willing to vote for if he is in alignment with our values? Um, Now I've seen people uh, like Abby Johnson, for example, she was saying, you know, she would never vote for someone who is Hindu. Um, because the misalignment with our fundamental values is just too much. And then other people are saying, well, it doesn't really matter. Like, is there really a difference between a professing Christian who is obviously not a Christian and a practicing Hindu as long as the values are in line? So there are varying perspectives on that. Feel free to leave a comment telling me what your thoughts are on that. And then there's uh, some concerns about his ties to China. Some people have pointed out ties to um, George Soros organizations. He's responded to those. Some people um, are disbelieving that he is quite as conservative as he um, as he says that he is, there's a recent controversy in the news right now about him slamming Juneteenth and saying Juneteenth is uh, is useless, that it's not really something um, that we need to celebrate. He said, cancel Juneteenth or one of the other useless ones we made up, he said recently. Uh, but then... Two months ago, people pointed out on Juneteenth, he tweeted, Juneteenth is a new holiday, so we still have a chance to define what it means to us. It needn't be about grievance and self-flogging. Let it be a celebration of the American dream itself. So two somewhat contradictory messages there. Uh, I don't think either one of them is necessarily bad or wrong, but it does seem to be a little bit you know, it's interesting to seemingly change your stance. Does that mean that he's moving to the right uh, to be even more of a conservative culture warrior? This is a new story. I wasn't able to ask him about that. Um, But I would encourage you to not just listen to this episode, but to do your own research and to do your own research after the interview. Uh, A lot of people really like Vivek. He's polling in third right now, which is pretty impressive. Like if you look at, for example, Real Clear Politics, they've got Trump at 47%, DeSantis at 13%, and Ramaswamy at 7%. So you got to give him kudos for that. Like above Pence, Haley, Scott, Christie, Hutchinson, and some of these people that I've never even heard of. Uh, I mean, that's pretty impressive. So he has to be doing something right. If you like Vivek Ramaswamy, I would love to hear from you. Um, What do you love about him? What has he said? And what are some stances that he has articulated that you're like, yes, he is the one to lead us into the future? Um, I think that you'll be interested to hear some of the things that he has to say today. But I just wanted to point out, because we didn't have time to go through all of the conflicts ourselves with him, I just wanted to point out that there are conflicts, there is controversy, there uh, is criticism surrounding him, just like any other Republican candidate that I encourage you to look into and to really critically think and to make a good decision. Um, But I'm glad that I got to talk to him. I'm very appreciative that he took the time and his busy campaign schedule to come on the show and talk about a lot of these moral issues that really matter to you and me. Um, So before we get into that conversation, let me tell you about our third sponsor for the day. That is... Um, Constitution Wealth. Okay, ladies, 
you and your husband work together to make the financial decisions for your family. That's how it works in my house. None of us are making, neither of us are making these um, big financial decisions about how we're managing our wealth or where we're investing our dollars independently. We're coming together and we're having conversations about that and we're praying about that and doing the best that we possibly can to put our money where our values are. And a great way to ensure that you're doing that is to use a wealth management firm, uh, a charitable giving firm that actually aligns with the principles that you have, and that's Constitution Wealth. They are a Christian, conservative wealth management, uh, investment financial planning, charitable giving firm. They can help you invest your capital without investing in and supporting companies that aid industries that you just don't agree with, whether it be the abortion industry or the tobacco industry. They're on your team and they want you to put your dollars in a place that is helping you achieve the goals, not just for your family, but for uh, but for your country too, uh, that you hold. And so go to constitutionwealth.com slash Allie, schedule a free consultation. I think working with them will give you so much peace of mind, just knowing that they are on your team, that they're fighting for the things that you're fighting for too. Go to constitutionwealth.com slash Allie for that free consultation, constitutionwealth.com slash Allie. Mr. Ramaswamy, thanks so much for taking the time to join us on Relatable today. All right, first question. You have a beautiful family. You have been very successful in all different kinds of endeavors. You're one of those people that seems to just be able to accomplish different things in different uh, segments, a lot more than most people are able to accomplish in an entire lifetime you have already accomplished in your young life. Why in the world, why in the world are you running for president and possibly becoming a politician and moving to Washington, D.C.? It does seem at times like a sharp poke in the eye. Uh, At least that's what it would feel like the job would be. But I'm doing it by way of a sacrifice to give back to this country that has allowed me to live the American dream that I have. I want to pass that to the next generation. As the father of two sons, I do worry that their generation will not be able to live that same dream that I did. And I do think that young people in particular, Ali, I think it's true of all of us, but I think it's especially true of young people. We're so lost. We are so hungry for purpose and meaning right now. And I see a conservative movement that has such an opportunity to fill that gap, but yet is not today. The left fills that vacuum, race, gender, sexuality, climate. I am longing for us to fill that vacuum with something more meaningful. What it means to be an American, reviving the individual, family, nation, God, the things that I grew up with. I want to pass that on, especially to the next generation of young Americans. And truthfully, to be just really straight and honest about it, I didn't see another candidate in this race coming anywhere near close to an ability to actually do that on a timescale that matters. And so that's why I'm in the race. Yeah. I want to talk about your worldview. You mentioned a lot of things, obviously, that we care a lot about and talk a lot about on this show. This is a Christian show, obviously, in the Republican Party conservative movement. You've got a lot of Christians and there is, you know, Christianity in the fabric of our nation that really founded the ideals upon which were established. You are not a Christian, and yet you share a lot of the same principles that we do. Like, where does that come from? When you go back to why do I believe what I believe about what this country is supposed to look like, where rights come from, where right and wrong uh, comes from, where do you get that? Where equality comes from, for that matter. It didn't start in some piece of paper. It starts because we're equal in the eyes of God. We're equal in the eyes of each other because of that. So it's interesting. I, I did go to Catholic high school. I, that was my first exposure and what ended up being a deep study of the Bible. But it actually started much earlier than that. That's the, that's the probably technical answer. The real answer is the family I was raised in raised me in a tradition that it so happens shares those same values, including overlapping with the same Christian values that this nation is founded on. Duty, sacrifice, truth, being grounded in the love of the family, a belief that we are equal. You know, the way my parents taught me growing up in our tradition was we're all equal because God resides in each of us. I think in the Judeo-Christian founding of this nation, we say the same thing. We're equal in the eyes of each other because we're equal in the eyes of God, that we have duties. 
that God put us here for a purpose, for a reason, and we are here to realize that purpose, that there is a single truth. And so for me, when I even, I would say in Catholic school, read the Bible for the first time, it didn't feel like I was reading it for the first time. And I'm not running to be a pastor. I would not be qualified to be a a pastor of a church. But in terms of leading this country as commander in chief, as the next president, I do share those values so deeply that I'm also in a position as a young person, as a millennial, as a first generation American. And yes, as somebody who's Hindu, not Christian, to stand staunchly for religious liberty in this country, to stand staunchly and unapologetically for the values that this country was founded on. And the truth is nobody's going to accuse me of being a Christian nationalist or a white nationalist (laughs) as I do it. In many ways, I am at liberty as a member of a generation of first millennial ever to run for president as a Republican to do things with greater latitude and conviction than maybe even other politicians who are afraid of the political consequences may not be able to take on in the same way that I am. And so with that comes, yes, an opportunity, but also a sense of responsibility. And I take that responsibility pretty seriously. Okay, quick pause to tell you about our last sponsor for the day, and that is Birch Gold. All right, you want to protect your savings. This is a turbulent economy. We're being gaslit right now. I saw an article yesterday saying, the economy is great. What are you even worried about? Look, we all know. We all feel it. Like Things are very unsure and precarious right now when it comes to our economy. So you want to protect a portion of your savings by uh, diversifying it into gold. It's a hard asset that can withstand inflation and all of this turbulence that we're experiencing. And Birch Gold can help you do that. They can help you convert your IRA or 401k uh, into gold. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, or you just need more information about this, I mean, this is a significant decision because you're talking about stewarding the money that you have in a way that is helpful for your family, but also God glorifying. So you want all the information possible. So just text Allie to 989-898 and Birch Gold will send you a free info kit. You can talk to them, see if this is right for you, get all the information that you need so you can make an informed choice. But this could be a really smart move for you to protect a portion of your savings to just shield you from the unknowns of the economic future. So text Allie to 989-898 for that free info kit. Allie to 989-898. The thing that I think that you're strongest on is being anti-ESG and the wokeification that we've seen in corporations. This is obvious some obviously something that you've spoken about and written about a lot. It brings me great comfort to know that someone is running for president who truly gets it. You're not just reiterating a lot of the talking points that you hear podcasters, commentators, radio hosts say. You seem to really understand where this stuff comes from and why it's dangerous. Um, I'm curious, and I know that you've articulated these things before, but just for my audience, since most of us already know where you stand on that stuff and we're with you 100%, uh, on these issues that my audience talks about a lot. Um, Abortion. Tell us where you stand on that, Uh, not just as an issue, but also as far as legislation goes. Sure. So I am unapologetically pro-life. I believe that life begins at conception and that unborn life is life. This is important to me. I am personally supporting efforts here in Ohio on issue number one, reaching the ballot soon. I went to Iowa recently on the special day that they signed the six-week legislation, that day, it was important to me. I flew there to be there to celebrate that occasion. I think Roe was wrongly decided. One of the most important things that Trump gave us was a Supreme Court that in turn delivered Dobbs overturning Roe. I also believe that this issue actually, if we want to get to truth, more Americans, way more Americans are pro-life today than will actually admit it. Clarence Thomas proved that through a brilliant question he asked. It was based on a real case. Pregnant woman walking down the street. She's assaulted. Unborn child dies as a result. I have yet to meet a single American who says that that criminal does not deserve liability for that death. So that says we all share the same pro-life instincts. Nearly all of us do. We've just turned it into this artificial men's versus women's rights issue when, in fact, it is a human rights issue. So as a matter of policy, I think that we will do better in our movement, in the pro-life movement, if we're talking more about adoption, talking more about childcare, talking more about sexual responsibility for men, including with legal teeth attached to that, 
in an era of genetic and paternity tests. And when we talk about it that way, I've discovered that this issue doesn't have to be as divisive as we made it out to be. To the contrary, we can actually stand for life, but do it in a way that gives other people permission to actually agree with us. In their hearts, they probably do, but they've worn this exterior making this women's versus men's issue. So, so at a high level, that's where I'm at on it. And I'm happy to go in whatever direction you'd like. Yeah. As far as federal legislation goes, there's been a few proposals of that. Of course, I think ultimately pro-lifers would love to simply recognize that those pre-born children should have equal protection in the eyes of the Constitution. We believe that they already do, but that the law should be interpreted as such. Um, what are your thoughts on federal legislation yeah. that would restrict abortion, ban abortion, you know, depending on what's able to be passed? Well, let's first talk about the federal legislation that is on the table right now, or they're trying to put on the table, which is Joe Biden's efforts to codify Roe versus Wade as the standard into federal law, which I think would be a disaster. I'm a strict constitutionalist. I'm an originalist when it comes to the Constitution. That is why I was a staunch, since law school onward, staunch constitutional opponent of Roe versus Wade on principled grounds. I think that on principled grounds and I, on the grounds both of the Constitution as well as looking at what over the next 30 years is going to prevent the loss of as many unborn children as possible, I actually think this is best driven by the states. The moment that we federalize this issue, the same shoe will fit the other foot. And I think we need to think this through. I know this is a little bit of a minority perspective in the pro-life movement, though other senators and congressmen who are some of the staunchest pro-life advocates agree with me and have shaped my thinking on this. Here's the reality. There's something called preemption. Preemption, it's, it's a supremacy clause in the Constitution that says that federal laws preempt state laws. Right now, we've adopted correctly on the back of Dobbs the position that the federal government should have nothing to do with this. This is an issue for the states, and if a state wants to ban abortion, absolutely it can, it should, and many are already taking bold and proper steps in that direction. Here's the problem, though. Once we federalize that issue, the moment the Democrats then pass a piece of legislation that preempts all of those state laws, more babies will die over the next 30 years, I believe. More unborn children will die over the next 30 years. If we cross the Rubicon of turning this into an issue that opens itself up to federal preemption of the great Mm -hmm. laws that are hopefully spreading across this country from Iowa to Ohio. So I think it's really important to think for the long run here. We have the same objective, but I think that's really important that we pause Hmm. to think about the tactics before we do something we regret. Hmm, That's an interesting perspective. I would love to see that debated because, as you said, there are good pro-life people on both sides of that argument, but well articulated. Um, Okay, let's end with talking about gender ideology. I've seen many of your comments on that, obviously. Uh, Similar to abortion, I think that the majority of people probably agree that a 10-year-old boy shouldn't be chemically castrated, but it's become this very divisive and political and partisan issue. Um, And so what do you think about the legislation happening in places like Texas and other red states that says, sorry, it's not going to be legal to put kids through puberty blockers and double mastectomies and things like that? Do you think that that's moving in the right direction? I do. And I think it's the compassionate direction to move as well. When a kid is saying that their gender doesn't match their biological sex, they're going through a mental health struggle. That's a mental health condition. And the compassionate thing to do is not to affirm that confusion. That's not compassion. That is cruelty. The compassionate thing to do is actually to figure out what's going wrong in that kid's life. And the fact that that's now beyond the pale to even explore shows how far we've come as a culture. So for the same reasons that we don't let kids in any 50 state, any one of the 50 states, to get a tattoo before the age of 18, to make a permanent life-altering change to their body that they may later regret, we should not allow those children to make life-altering genital mutilation or chemical castration-based changes to their bodies either. I did meet, she testified, I think yesterday or the day before, Chloe in person and Katie, her friend as well, two young women who have been bold enough to share their stories of how they went through double mastectomies, in Katie's case, a hysterectomy, Mm -hmm. both of them through chemical intervention, through puberty blockers that now regret those decisions. Those young women will never be the same again. It is sad that Katie will never bring a child into this world, that Chloe, who despite wanting to, will never be able to breastfeed her children. 
it is inhumane. It is barbaric that mm-hmm. we live in a culture that led that let that happen to children. And I think if we don't learn from those mistakes, we only have ourselves to be ashamed of. As U.S. president, I absolutely stand by the truth that there are two sexes. There are men and there are women, XX and XY. That's biological truth. We have to stand for the truth. If you're an adult, you want to dress how you want, I'm not going to stop you. But you're not going to change our language. You're not going to change the way we compete in sports. You're not going to change the way that we sort locker rooms. And you're certainly not going to change the way we indoctrinate our children. That's where I stand on it. Hmm, Thanks so much for that. Totally agree with you. Yes and amen. Um, Okay, how can people support you, learn more about you? There are a ton of issues, obviously, that we didn't get to today that people are curious about. How can they learn more about that? Sure. So go to uh, Vivek2024.com, V-I-V-E-K2024.com. And I think the thing I would say is that there's a choice in this Republican primary amongst good people. I think the other people running are good people. You will not hear me personally attacking others. Drawing policy contrasts, sure, but personal attacks, no. But the real choice I think we face in our movement right now is, do you want reform, incremental reform, or do you want revolution? And I stand unapologetically on the side of revolution, the American revolution, Mm -hmm. speaking that truth without apology. And for those who favor incremental reform, I respect that I'm not the right person for you. But for those who actually favor not just reform, but revolution in the moment we live in, that's what I'm looking to lead is like the Reagan revolution in 1980. I think we have a Ramaswamy revolution of sorts that we're planning for 2024. And I hope people can learn more. And if you're inclined, volunteer for us, donate, join the movement. It'll help us get there. Well, thanks so much. I appreciate you taking the time to come on. Thank you. Appreciate it. (laughs) 